Well, hallelujah, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for us being able to come together and talk about this very important and timely subject, Lord, something that's near and dear to your heart, which is unity in the body of Christ, Lord, and how we can come together and how we can uh, sharpen one another, stand with one another in the trenches, as Lance mentioned, Lord, and and really, uh, you know, we're winners. We're on the winning team. We're not on the losing team. You you are the God of heaven and earth that sits on the throne of glory, and and we're on your team, Lord God. And so we just thank you for divine strategy, wisdom, and Lord, your anointing to fall upon this conversation, Lord God, that you would give us the understanding of how to move forward in this very important uh, initiative in the body of Christ, which is all throughout your word. So many different times you speak about unity. And so we just thank you. We bless your name. Thank we you, give Lord. you the glory in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Well, folks, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we are extremely excited to have with us Lance Wall now. And um, Lance is, is known for several things. One of the one of the things Lance is known for, let me get my glasses here so I can read. I haven't memorized this bio yet. Um, Lance predicted that Donald Trump would be um, a modern day Cyrus, and that had turned out to be true in spades. He also has introduced the seven mountains uh, and culture uh, concept that, that has taken that has caught fire around the country it's been very significant he is a futurist a strategist and a gifted communicator if you've heard him speak you know he's a gifted communicator and he has spent 30 years consulting businesses and nonprofits. and it's funny lance when i was um it was probably six months before the 2016 election i was driving home one day from work and i was driving near my brother's business office and the lord spoke to me just very simply said, Donald Trump's going to be the next president. And uh, I thought, well, that's funny. So I just stopped the car, went into my brother's office. His associate was there. And uh, he's, he was kind of a skeptic about some of the things I'd been telling him. But I said, Donald Trump's going to be the next president. That's all I said. And then I then I shut the then And he looked at me and said, my nickname with my brothers and friends is Willie for William. And he said, sure, Willie. And then I just shut the door and walked out. And I forgot I even said it. Then six months later, he, remind, he reminded me. And I believe, I believe like you do, that God appointed Donald Trump to be our president. I believe that he was a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense uh, to the church in America. And uh, it's interesting. It, it, he's really, a, he's really a, uh, a dividing line between different factions in the church. And those, I think, who are listening, were listening to the Spirit of God understood that Donald Trump was called to be the president of the United States as you did. And um, so I'm just going to turn it over to you. We heard you speak. Uh, Todd and I heard you speak in uh, San Diego recently at Clay Clark's conference. Yep. And we were inspired to take up the, the challenge that you laid out, which was to unify, to partner together. And we, we needed, we knew we needed unity, unity of purpose and effort. And so we've taken that up. And if you want to talk about that today, that's great. If yeah. you want to talk about something else that's on your heart, that would be fine. And we just want to hear what you have to say. So we're going to turn it over to you now and see what you have for us. Yeah, well, you know, if the, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate this. I'm looking forward to it. If the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, Paul said, who will prepare himself for battle? And uh, he was talking there in Corinthians about uh gifts of the spirit and speaking in tongues and stuff. But it's interesting that the language he chose to clarify the difference between utterance that is helpful and utterance that isn't is uh, a trumpet. 
if the trumpet gives a clear sound. Then people can prepare for battle. And I think what has been happening in the United States is the clear sound is getting clearer all the time. And it's coming about as a result of the increasing disarray of America. And in an ironic sense, the great, I told somebody once, I remember it was Michael Brown, who's a, who's a friend of mine and, and a gifted, uh, you know, a debater. And he wanted to debate me about my support for Donald Trump. He was just offended that I could, um, I could throw my influence behind such a sordid, um, you know, uh, Babylonian. And, uh, I declined and I declined because I said, really, um, when Donald Trump is president, and I'll be vindicated for, for prophesying it, and then after he's in office for a year, I'll be vindicated for why. And indeed, Michael Brown reluctantly came out with books saying how he held his nose, basically, but pulled the lever for Trump because blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm saying it facetiously now just to kind of bother him. But the reality is he's not alone. There's a whole lot of Christians that that they live in a different bubble than Wall Street. And what I began to realize is, like with the seven mountains, that each in each mountain, uh, whether it's media or academia or politics or entertainment or business, each of those oikoses or environments has its own ethos. It has its own its own culture. And you literally do live under the influence of the bombardment of the ideology of that you, which you associate with. And so a lot of these guys who have a problem with Donald Trump, it's because their associations and affiliations don't like Trump because they talk to like, for instance, a lot of the, the Christians, if they're in the, if they're in the church bubble, then their hypersensitivity is all around, um, a style of communication. None of them raised a cry about Barack Obama, though he has he has got the White House bathed in rainbow colors celebrating homosexual marriage, though he's promoting uh, abortion Planned Parenthood, though he created a destabilization of the world that introduced ISIS, though he did nothing to mat with masculine force decapitate ISIS, and you have this you have this massive migration problem that goes into Europe that destabilizes all of Europe with a Muslim uh, invasion into into Germany. And in the face of all those consequences, nine out of 10 of the anti-Trumpers in the Christian community never raised their voice, wrote an obnoxious tweet, or challenged the uh, the ethics of people that voted for Obama. That all came out with Donald Trump. And my theory of the case is that Donald Trump was a kind of of a litmus test Hmm. for whether or not in every sphere, whether or not uh, you were distracted by the form and missed the substance. In the church, sadly to say, is supposed to be the most discerning, but in reality, it is not. And in, in when it comes to the world's affairs, instead of being, um, instead of really being prophetic, they're actually social architects that care and think about only a certain narrow number. Let me, get, let me give you one example. When I met with Donald Trump, the first time I met with him, I met with him up in Trump Towers. He was assembling evangelical leaders, and I kind of got grandfathered into the group by Paula White's producer, 
um, because he was in a meeting that heard me speak in some little gathering in Florida, and he heard me talk about Seven Mountains, blah, blah. And he said, you need to be in that meeting because these were all televangelists. These were right. like TBN, uh, Jan Crouch is there, and Paul is, it's Paula's peer group, which would all be the big ministry people. And I, I, uh, I thought, yeah, I feel kind of out of place. And, and I noticed that when Trump was going around the table to, to get ideas from what was important, do you know all the issues that were important to those pastors and those preachers was about gay marriage and abortion. They weren't, it wasn't even on China, Russia, uh, globalism, the uh, sovereignty of the United States, the collapse of the economy, the intrusion of progressives into, into uh, academia and the, the fact that 20% of Gen Y, the next gen is going to be LGBT uh, oriented, 20% versus 2% of my generation. They're being evangelized into, they're being groomed into transgender ideology. None of that was really on their radar. And uh, it was all, it was, it was except a very narrow band of social issues. And I thought to myself, you know, I thought that if the kingdom is really going to represent the kingdom, which is about all of life. When Jesus, when the millennium comes, when Jesus returns, it's all of life is going to be under the domain of the kingdom of God, not just church gatherings. It's going to be, a, there'll be a different way of economics. There'll be a different kind of life. I mean, it'd be, it'd be worthwhile to think about what does it look like when heaven comes to earth, because it's still going, earth is going to function in a different way, but it's going to function in a way that is potential now, but not manifest because the kingdom isn't practiced everywhere. Anyway, I'm going on about this because there still is this odd divide in yeah, the church yeah. about Donald Trump. And he still is the radioactive, um, you know, meter that reveals whether or not you've got a religious spirit or whether you've yeah. got a revival spirit. I would say a, a hearty amen to that. Um, Todd, thoughts? <laughs> No, I mean, we're all on the same page here, and, and I agree 100%, Lance. I mean, you know, you and I think a lot alike in, in these areas and, and many others as well, but you're very astute. And as you were mentioning, a lot of the body of Christ, they, they don't even know these things are even happening. And it's so concerning because they're going to affect all of our lives, and that's uh, one of the reasons why we've gone through what we've gone through in the last two years and why we're seeing this encroachment, like you said, with the LGBTQ. I mean, I just saw an article today about uh, in, in Palm Springs, they're going to be incentivizing uh, people that are non-binary or transgender, they're going to give them universal basic income. Barely anybody in the church even talks about this stuff. Uh, no. how, do we, how do we get more people to awaken on these issues and be more educated? I mean, what, what have you found is successful in that way? Well, the same way that the left dominates um, culture is you actually, you have to go into it. And so for the Christian, it starts with don't just listen to your favorite Christian sources or filters. Uh, trust yourself to when I was when I was in business and I was in uh, and, and got involved a bit with some government and politics stuff. I remember I was so paranoid about getting defiled by the contaminating influence of the world uh, and that I wanted to just kind of fast. And I had my ideal of, you know, I should be praying. I should be fasting. I should be doing revival. I should be doing evangelism. I should be seeking God. And they just, and my, my models were John Wesley and Charles Finney and DL Moody. So I'm like going to the way, you know, extreme area over here. And, and then I started uh, getting called to the United Nations, getting called to corporations and getting called. I thought, what's this? 
is this the devil? Because the doors were opening and God was saying, no, it's me. Go in there. What's the matter with you? And, and I can remember getting my, involved with my first protest at Harvard. I go to Harvard and I remember kneeling down because all the big speakers were canceling because the LGBTQ community was being mobilized by Soros on the campus to protest the event. And I had friends of mine that were well-meaning that called and said, you know, Lance, you got a good reputation as a Christian, as a minister of Seven Mountains. Why would you want to associate with uh, something that's going to just get negative media and get yourself smeared like Anita Bryant, you know, as an anti-gay <laughs> guy? I mean, and so I went to the Lord. Now, I don't hear the Lord always, not like these other guys that are hearing God every day. I, But I do hear him when I need guidance. And I said, Lord, the students are having all the all the, all the preachers are canceling. But I, I feel bad. I feel like I should go and, and, and just brave whatever's going there and speak. Um, but they tell me that this could hurt, hurt my brand image if I'm not, if I don't think this through. And the Lord said something that was so funny, but humbling. He said, you're not well known enough to have a brand that can be hurt. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a humbling thing. You're not that well known that you got a brand that can get tarnished. It's not like, you know, you're Joel Osteen getting involved with something. And so the Lord said, I want you to go because I'm going to be raising up a new generation of voices and that your your upgrade in your rank and your authority isn't based only on your revelation. It's based on your activation, yeah. and I'm activating you. So yeah. I went up to Harvard, and uh, it ended up being a, a great experience because after I got done speaking, there were gays that helped organize the protests that came up to me and said, you're nothing like we were told you were. We were told you hated us, and I could tell by watching you here that's not the way you are. And uh, can I talk to you? And I said, sure, come on, let's get together. We went down to the Harvard pub and, and had a meeting because the manager of the Harvard pub organized the protest. Wow. And he came up to me and said, I'm Jewish, I'm an atheist, but after watching you here, I That's kind of intrigued by what you're doing. I realized we didn't know who you were. My point was, then I had a witch. She came and she said, look, I owe you an apology. I mobilized all the Salem witches. We have 10,000 curses on you on Facebook. But I feel bad. I feel bad because really you're not that bad a guy. God gave me favor. It doesn't always happen this way. But he gave me favor with the atheist Jew, dean of students, with the gay that organized it, and with a witch. Wow. I invited them all to the Harvard pub because the dean happened to manage the pub. He said, would you, would you be willing to have a, a, a meeting with me at the pub? I said, absolutely. And when I came out of that, I came to the conclusion that if we don't go into all the world, the world will have a caricature about fundamentalist, intolerant, evangelical, Pentecostals. Uh, we, we will look weird because we don't show up and shatter the stereotype. And that doesn't mean we're going to win them all because there's a certain amount of them that are entrenched. But there's a number of them that got evangelized into that worldview. And the only way we're going to reach them is to evangelize them out of it. You know, it's interesting. I seem to remember another Jew. I, I understand you're, Ger you're German Jewish. And, yeah. uh, and there was another Jew around, the, uh, around 33 AD who had the same reputation. He, he was surrounded by publicans, sinners, harlots would hang around him. You know, all the all the uh, scum of the day love to hang around. Here. <laughs> yeah, wine bibbers and tax collectors, as That's I recall. Right. That's right. So. Yeah, so, so for us, you know, I, I think that uh, the unity thing, which we're talking about, and yeah. here's the mystery about unity. 
in order to unify, you have to stop trying to attempt unity at the lowest common denominator. What the trumpet gives is a certain sound. What you want to do is mobilize in unity around the clarity of what God is doing and not try to go around the outer rim and find some way of compromising into a, into a congenial agreement with a number of people that, in other words, we lack unity that has power because we don't unify around the activity God's in and the message God's bringing. The mm. burden of a prophetic culture is to hear what that message is and to and to have the courage to move towards the sound of the battle. Yes. Amen to that. That's powerful. You know, uh, Dr. Jack Hafer was somebody I was raised up under. He had a real heart for unity in the body of Christ. You know, and one of the things that he would always tell me is don't focus on the 5% that you disagree on, but focus on, you know, the the 95% that you agree on. You know, and he was able to go into all different types of groups of people. And, you know, we don't unify just for the sake of unity. But wouldn't you say that in this hour with the very serious threats that we're dealing with in our world, in our nation, that a unified front, I mean, look at the left. It always surprised me. Maybe I can pick your brain about this, but why are they better at unifying? And then it seems that on our side, for whatever reason, you know, we all got our own islands. You know, what is, is it religiosity? Is it Pharisee? What is it that? I'll, t- I'll tell you what it is. I had a, a conversation. We were doing a Flashpoint broadcast, and sometimes the best part of Flashpoint is when the cameras are off. Right. Uh, we, we, we talk for a couple of minutes and, you know, catch up and discuss stuff. And Tony Suarez was on who is a young revivalist and um, works with Sammy Rodriguez. And he was a guest on that night. And he said that when they were doing work in Colorado to try to resist the, the leftist blueprint for taking the red state of Colorado and flipping it blue and the, his opposition came up to him and gave him some advice. And he said to him, uh, you know, Reverend Tony, uh, who is the spokesman for LGBTQ in the United States? And uh, Tony said, I'm not sure. He said, well, who's the transgender spokesperson? Well, I'm not really sure uh, who that is. He said, well, how about uh, with uh, CRT, critical race theory? Who's our, who's our main person? He said, I'm not, I don't know. He said, uh-huh. He said, here's what you need to realize. You Christians are are all obsessed with who gets to be the anointed messenger. On our side, we're funded when we succeed in getting the message over the finish line. Our job is to get the message out and marketed. You guys fight over who gets to be the messenger. That's right. Bam. Wow. That's a mic drop right there. Woo. That's heavy. Yeah, it is. You know, exactly what you're saying, because a lot of people, you know, they're talking about revival, but they feel like they need to be the catalyst for revival where, you know, this is a nameless, faceless thing. And of course, we have names, we have faces, you know, but like you said, this is about the greater mission. I mean, we're in a war. Look what's happening. Like you mentioned, from 2% to 20%, we're seeing this happening with our children being brainwashed. And where is the urgency? Is there enough urgency in your in your view in the body, Lance, when you go around the country? What are you seeing when you talk to most pastors? Yes. Well, I, well, I think we already had a, which is the tragic part, we already had a harbinger traumatized core group. So you've got 1 million people by the, the harbinger by Jonathan Kahn. Right. And, uh, it's, it's the twin towers are down. Nothing's going to be rebuilt. America's coming under judgment if it doesn't repent. All right. So that's the message. Then Hillary Clinton comes along and there's this, this 
you know, this hysteria virtually on what happens if Hillary comes in, which was around a certain uh, early adopters behind Donald Trump, praying for Donald Trump and supporting Donald Trump as a wrecking ball because he looked like a courageous, uh, uh, you know, uh, blunt force that would take on the establishment. My point is this. We've had our community are with more faith for America's judgment than for America's recovery. When Donald Trump came along, we were caught flat-footed. The walls of Jericho went down. Trump says, hey, uh, you know, these uh, these Marxist socialists are trying to take over the universities. I say if you don't have conservatives on these campuses speaking, we should cut off government funding instead of the church and the conservatives being ready to go, he's right. Boom, boom, we need to put, nobody, it's crickets. Nobody wanted to go there. Donald Trump was ready to reform stuff. Nobody wanted to go reform. Right. And so the, the walls went down, but we were so used to circling around, praying for revival, praying for America, and keeping our fingers crossed because we thought a harbinger judgment was on its way, that when God opened the door, we didn't even unify around supporting uh, the reformer that helped open the door. Because we didn't like his tweets, we don't like his attitudes, we, and then, then we find out that our thinking is wishy-washy because we don't know. I mean, I'll tell you something. A bunch of the revivalists that I've worked with over the years are for open borders. I'm, yeah. I'm nauseous to realize it. That I know a bunch of them vote Democrat. I mean, wow. you'd be shocked. I could kill their ministries if I mm. came out and told you this, who they were. Because I found out they're anti-Trump because they think it's not compassionate. To them, Democrats are more compassionate. This is what you call soft-hearted and soft-headed Christian leadership. They don't, they don't, they don't know what they don't know. They need to sit down with Dennis Prager or Steve yeah. Bannon, yeah. A, a good Catholic or a good Jew, and have the good Pentecostals and Charismatics get educated on how the left is strategically dismantling and destroying Western civilization. They wouldn't be so so muddle-brained about about what the battle is. Lance, do you think that um, you know some of the some of the parables Jesus told about people that are faithful in this life and small things that us uh, entire will be turned over to their supervision in the in the kingdom of God. Do you think that there's a lesson in those uh, in those parables for the church in America today in terms of how it is how it is orienting itself toward the civil society and government? Yeah, and, I, and here and here's the takeaway there in the context of unity and the reformation battle for the survival of America and western civilization the lesson is uh, two things. One is the people that I think are the most powerful and perhaps the most the most effective on our side are like the Maximus in the movie Gladiator. You remember he was uh, he he was uh, what we look for is the reluctant warrior. Uh, somebody, you know, he at first he just wanted revenge because of what this other, you know, Commodus did to his wife and child. But then he realized there was a bigger issue. It was Rome. It was saving the Republic. And so he was willing, in a sense, to lay down his life for the sake of the Republic. What we're looking for are leaders who are not inter who aren't don't have like a, a dog in this thing, but got drafted in because they have an awakening to what is really happening to their country. And they have a realization that although they prefer 
love and they prefer evangelism and they prefer uh, to win by being uh, a priesthood, if they have to put on the harness for a conflict with the powers of darkness and go into the public arena to meet the enemy uh, in the garb of a lawyer, a journalist, a media spokesman, a politician, a business owner who puts it on the line, they're willing to do it. Those are the people that you want that you want at the front of your battle because they're not there because they relish the fight. They're, they prefer not to fight. They're there because of the necessity of the hour. And that goes to local, uh, goes to if you're faithful and little. The types of people that God promotes into a greater arena uh, are those that are faithful what they have within the context of what they've got. So where the poly, where, what's going to change America is most of us do not have access to the corridors of power at uh, in Wall Street. Or at BlackRock or at Disney. But what we do have is local authority because right. that's where you have a sphere of authority. Right now, outside of Disney's world headquarters there, Sean Foyt took a bunch of musicians and some local women have organized a parents' protest against Disney. And I promise you, the one way you bring these big corporations to heal quickly is through brand sensitivity. It's PR. They do not want their, their, their board of directors, their primary stockholders do not want equity in the company lost because of stupid political controversies. They're giving into wokeness because it's a trend in America that they think gives them market share. But yep. if there's pushback, they're very hypersensitive in their branding. They don't want Mickey Mouse dragged into some kind of a contorted cartoon character. They have to protect their brand. It's the local. So those that are faithful locally right now in Orlando at Disney are the, to protest, to bring the music, to bring the media. Those are the ones that are affecting the nation. If you're faithful in a little, in your school board, in your school district, in your mayor's office, in your own backyard, then, then that is the stewardship that collectively, in unity, we can shift America. They did that in Virginia. In Virginia, we had a 25 to 30 percent participation in in the uh, polling centers. The Democrats had the had the advantage in controlling the, the legislation. They had advanced seven or eight laws that made it virtually impossible for them to lose, except for the fact that 93 percent of the precinct polling locations were flooded by God's people. We went into those places and we so suppressed and inhibited the ability to steal that yeah. they lost the governorship. So that's local responsibility. Yeah. That's being faithful in the little that you've got affects the big. You know, it's interesting you say that because the vision we are pursuing is a company of pastors in every political jurisdiction in America. I think there are something like 3,400 or 3,300 uh, either counties or uh county equivalents in the United States. And the idea would be at least two or three pastors in every one of those political jurisdictions teaching their flocks that you don't have an option not to vote. I'm commanding you to vote as the leader of this church. You need to go out and vote and you need to vote for the best candidate of whoever, whoever they are, you know, and that's how, that's how I believe Liberty is going to get secured. Is, yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and to your point, I think they need to recognize the fact that a lot of them are uh, a lot of them are worried about what the fallout would be if they listen. The pastors, in a sense, I hate to say it, are are kind of like the um, 
benevolent statesmen of their own community. They are. They don't want to get involved with political turmoil because there's going to be some tither and some member of the church. They never, they never gain people by being controversial. They lose people. So they're conditioned, Pavlovian, conditioning to not go into certain subjects or to be so, so temporal, so careful about it that it's almost as though they're, they're, they're not prophetic. They're not being clear about it. So I think, I think what you're saying is absolutely essential for pastors to realize the Jack Hibbs, the Bob McCormick's, uh, the, it hasn't hurt, um, you know, gateway down here. I'm in Dallas for, uh, Robert Morris to be openly affiliated with Donald Trump. Didn't hurt him. It does, it doesn't hurt pastors to be clear because if you are clear, you will attract the frustrated church members who are going to churches where they're not. That's They'll right. be coming towards you. You'll, from a marketing perspective, you won't lose. You'll have That's a right. stronger, more enduring yep. congregation by having happen, a yeah. certain sound. Do you, think, do you think that we are, uh, do you think this, this confrontational political action we're seeing like down at Disney and, and the conferences that Clay is doing, do you think that's evidence of, of an awakening, a great awakening? Absolutely. And I've been saying all along, I'm saying that the populist awakening is coming because of the root awakening that's coming to America. <laughs> and, and the more that, and what we're, I, I asked the Lord, I had, I had a producer, uh, text me when the George Floyd riots were going on. And he said, Oh my gosh, Lance, where is this going with the left? What's going to happen? And um, I didn't know. I mean, I, I really was, I was really concerned that Donald Trump wouldn't get elected a second term and that everything that's happening now would happen. Exactly. And, uh, so, but I remember sometimes somebody can provoke you. And what's interesting about this, the spirit is you may not have healing, but if somebody provokes you, you actually will pray for them and God will do something you didn't even know was in you. And, uh, it, you know, the, the, the proof of that is the issue of blood. The woman reaches out and touches Jesus. He wasn't initiating a healing service. He was trying to get somewhere. She interrupted him by doing, putting a demand on what he carried and pulled it out of him. He said, wait, something happened to me. I felt virtue go out of me. He's trying to figure out who did it. Right. So I, I think that there, there's a sense in which we don't understand how our own faith and our own desperation can put a demand on the spirit realm so that God will come down and grab hold of us. I wrote to the guy right then. It was like he put a demand on me and something came up in me I didn't have. I texted back to him. God is about to expose the root yeah. by manifesting the fruit. And I had no idea what it was. The ax is laid to the root of the tree. What does it mean? It means that the the root is going to be exposed, and when it's exposed, it's going to be cut. What God's doing now, you take a look at the Pfizer data that's coming out. This is why I'm saying Christians that aren't in aren't studying everything going right. on are at a loss to even know what God's doing. So yep. it's it's like a big crossword puzzle. It's like a big puzzle, I should say. So what you have the Pfizer document is releasing 120,000 um, uh, people. Who are, who actually had negative adverse reactions to the trial doses. This was within 90 days, 120,000 people. They actually just came out and had, and had to release reluctantly information saying that they were so convinced of the adversarial reaction, the negative reaction to what they were releasing, uh, in the vaccines that they had to add 2,500 additional employees to process 
the paperwork that was going to come at them. They expected that much. Then they went ahead and released um, the vaccines. The point is this. That data is only going to metastasize over the next nine months. The Hunter Biden laptop situation, controversial as it is, now the New York Times, now CNN, now Axios with HBO. Yeah. Uh, the, now now it's all, even, you know, good morning, uh, Joe. Is it, oh, well, what? how did we miss it? All the tech companies, they're all getting exposed right now because the facts were there. Why was, why? I, I defended William Barr. Why was the FBI in possession of this in 2019? and never even did a forensic analysis sufficient to be able to verify its contents when were there because they're in bed with a globalist narrative. They had an outcome they wanted, and they were not neutral parties. They were politically weaponizing media and information. I'll tell you what, this is a perfect storm. When this comes out, plus the Durham report, which is exposing that the Hillary legal team actually was in collusion and yep. that's going to touch back to an FBI source. And either they lied to the FBI or, oh, or was the FBI aware that they lied? The point is the fruit, along with your $7 gas at the pump, your famine on the food shortage shelf, and uh, your rising crime in the cities, and your hemorrhaging in the border of Mexico. It's as though God is saying, all right, how about I let you guys have what you want? I'm going to just step back. I'm not even going to intervene. I'm just going to let you enjoy the plagues in Egypt. And if you want a way out, I'm going to show you the Red Sea. You may not like what it looks like, but you'll prefer it to Egypt. I think that's where we're at. Uh, do, you, do you think God is, is basically laying our enemy? I mean, I'm not, I don't mean enemies in the sense of literally destroying them. But do you think God is basically basically exposing our enemies? Isn't it sad that you have to qualify that? I, it it yes, really I, is. But, I, uh, I knew, and your audience knew, that you weren't advocating to literally kill our enemies. <laughs> yeah, well, there's probably somebody eavesdropping on this conversation. They're ready to yeah. break bust down my door. And yeah, because, because the interesting thing about Christians is, for those eavesdroppers, we're told to love our enemies. Yeah. So right. we love you so much, we don't want you to be comfortable in the direction you're going in. Right, but in a sense. So is God is God essentially laying our enemies out for us on a platter right now? With he he is, and, and, and won't it be hilarious when the church still can't unify? I mean, it's kind of like when you got when you got this one guy who is transgender now uh, swimming as a female in the swimming competitions, crushing all the women. I watched a little Dave Chappelle routine yesterday, nothing like a comedian to clarify an issue for you. And he was joking in his uh, routine about how he said, what if LeBron James suddenly transitioned and he went from the men's league to the women's basketball league and every night LeBron scored 800 points? (laughs) He said, he said, how do you think? He said, why do you have a women's league anyway? Why don't you just have one league? It's because the women can't compete with the men. Duh. It takes a comedian to make the punchline. And then it's like, uh, yeah, but you know what? On the Hill, they still don't know what a woman is. They can't explain what it is. And Disney evidently um, doesn't know whether it's appropriate or not appropriate to be <clears throat> to be become the sexual advocate of lifestyle for kindergartners to third grade. So you have this kind of like state of mind in America where it's going to take a lot of pain, I'm sorry to say, to to break the um, the seduction of the worldview off of the left. 
it's and and I we're already we're already there. I mean, yeah, conservatives get it. I see it yeah. And like I said, never underestimate. I'm sorry to say, never underestimate the pulpit's ability to stay detached. And I'll tell you why. I don't. You look at the, you you look at the Civil yeah. War. The Civil War is a great example. I wish I, I wish I had grabbed this study. It was a PhD thesis uh, written that I, I should have downloaded it on religion in America during the Civil War. Now, you can imagine this. This is like the Finney revivals in the 1820s, 30s, and 40s leading up to the Civil War. You have the abolitionist move in the North. Here's the interesting thing. What was preached in the pulpits of America during the existential crisis of a fourth turning event in in our own Civil War? And here's what, here's what we came up with. In the South, the pulpits preached about um, Northern aggression and the rights of states to self-determination and the and the lawlessness of Lincoln forcing them into compliance. So they they skewed a bit the slavery issue by going to the the other issue of their constitutional freedom being being imposed on and robbed from them by the northern aggressors. What did they preach in the north? They preached increasingly anti-slavery the injustice of slavery and God's hand, like the inauguration message of Finney, that this is God's judgment on America and we must deal with this sin. But what did they preach in Maryland and in Kentucky and in the border states? The pulpits there preached, stay out of politics and focus on the kingdom. And I would submit to you that almost every pulpit is a border state right now where they're in, where they're in the middle of a community that could be leftist or it could be right. They don't want to go either way. So they're all focusing on spiritual themes and the kingdom. I mean, I, I would say that one of the great astonishing things we could look back on in the future is what was preached on Christian television during the American meltdown. <laughs> because if, if what you've got is sermon series on strife or stress or marriage and forgiveness or identity or on destiny, you're listening to the stuff that Christians talk about that is the kingdom message yep. rather yep. than the real issue. No, it, it reminds me like, you know, they're still acting like it's 1999, you know, like nothing's changed. And, and that's what's so crazy. I think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, I mean, there was a guy sounding the alarm in Germany and uh, he couldn't really get an audience of many people. And then history tends to repeat itself. Here we are, you know, 2022. And, you know, some people are sounding the alarm. But like you said, a lot of pulpits are still acting business as usual. And it's and, not and, and the guy that writes Bonhoeffer, Eric Metaxas, yeah. gets banned off of social media and YouTube. Right. I mean, here's the irony. He's warning about the Bonhoeffer, a canary in the coal mine. You better be aware, America. And he gets canceled. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, I believe the gospel, and I, I think you'd agree with this at a certain level. I think the gospel is really profoundly political. And the command to take the gospel into all the world was a command to implement the government of God throughout the earth. And in that sense, it's political because it transforms everything, including politics. That's, I believe it. I just believe it is. Yeah, well, there's a reason why. I'm, I'm very concerned about getting the facts on what happened in Ukraine with the event, with the uh, dean of the evangelical uh, seminary. I mean, evidently he was, he was, uh, assassinated or martyred along with, uh, other, other people. Uh, I've heard that there are pastors that have been killed in Ukraine 
And I want to know the, the facts behind that because I'm, I'm suspicious of every narrative that comes through mainstream media. Yep. Um, and the fact that this came yeah. out of uh, CBN only is the only reason why I took it seriously, because at least there you've got, we work with churches around the world. So I'm going to trust that our sources are going to tell us what, what was going on. But the reason I say that is because I've also met with Putin's um, top uh, evangelical Pentecostal and, uh, and evangelical pastors who helped craft with him a marriage document basically blocking homosexuality from access to Russia and endorsing the evangelical worldview on marriage along clearly with the Greek Orthodox blessing, uh, or the Russian Orthodox blessing, rather, on, on, on the uh, document. But so I thought that Putin was going to be more sensitive to uh, to what he was doing. So I don't know if that's disinformation or accurate information or whether it's just the mongrel uh, animal aptitude of troops, um, uh, you know, that that that, you know, that are that are just going to play out their their evil. Uh, or whether it's policy, whether that's the way that Putin was authorizing the military to, to conduct affairs. But I do want to know that because that helps me understand a little bit more about the the psychology of Christianity in Russia. Yeah, that's yeah. extremely important. I, there's so many people I that agree. are, you know, just taking the one the one story narrative and, and going with it. But like you said, we got to go to the source documents. We got to really figure out what's going on. You got the Azov Battalion, you know, many different factors. I actually got banned from Facebook for 21 days for putting in a comment, the flag of the Azov Battalion. They took me right down from Facebook. It's just their flag. I mean, I wasn't saying anything, you know, so pretty wild, you know, you can't even put their flag up. Must have offended China. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Well, I got, I got banned from TikTok and I'm still trying to figure out whether it was something I said about communist China or not because they own it. But <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. I mean, you know, and, and here, and here's the other thing you want to really get, uh, get, I mean, uh, let, we could focus on unity. We have to unify. We now need to lock our shields like Maximus in the arena in Rome. Yes. And, and it's a remnant that can do this. Yes. It was, uh, in Acts chapter four, it was a small, it was basically when the apostles were being persecuted. They were, they were the government. We don't ever pick a fight with government. I mean, we're just not that way. Christians are, are pacifist oriented by almost by a cultural conditioning in America. We just don't like strife. We actually are suspicious of anyone that creates strife, but, uh, we're more like hobbits in that sense. We just, we're not, we're the reluctant heroes for sure. But, but, but on the other hand, uh, we're, we're, we're living in this weird period of time where courage becomes the one virtue that we need the most. And when Joshua, was was told to go in he was said you know be bold and be, and be courageous for the lord thy god is with me because the government is coming after us the apostles weren't picking a fight with the sanhedrin the government in jerusalem was calling them in they weren't looking for a meeting with the sanhedrin the apostles weren't looking for a meeting the government is now like mario marilla my friend puts it we didn't get involved with politics Government left its sphere. It's like behind me there. It has a sphere of separation of church and state. It left the state and now is trying to dictate to the church what it can do. That's it right. came into my backyard. Now I'm being forced to have to confront it. But in Acts 4, when the apostles were confronted, they basically let them know that civil disobedience is, is, is non-optional. 
because whether it's right in the sight of God, like Arthur Pulaski would say, to, to submit to you yep. or submit to God, judge for yourself. We're, we're not going to submit to you. Right. God tells us to do the opposite. But we're not going, we're not trying to be rebellious. We're just trying to be obedient to what God tells us to do. But they went to their own company is the key. They went and their own company was a small group in great unity that was in one mind and one accord. And because they were in one mind and one accord, they could pray. When they prayed, they were filled with boldness and went forth and preached the word of God boldly. I suspect we're coming to the place where Christianity is going to go from being a little social media phenomena to being an anointed boldness yes. phenomena, where even the weak will be made strong because oh, out of desperation in their small companies of unity, they'll access the anointing to go do big things, and they will disrupt the status quo. Hallelujah. That's really cool. Hallelujah. You know, yeah. I was uh, – about four years ago, I was doing what I'm doing. I was very discouraged because there wasn't a lot of response. And I remember telling the Lord one day, in this anymore. I just said, I'm not doing it. It's too difficult. And, and besides, the, the country's gone. You know, the, we're overrun by Marxists in America. We're outnumbered. We're outgunned. We're outmanned. And uh, we, I said, it's impossible. America can't be saved. And immediately on the, the moment I had that thought, the Holy Spirit reminded me of the, just a couple of phrases in Hebrews chapter 11, where it said they subdued kingdoms and that they put foreign armies to flight. And at that moment, God removed all doubt from my heart that he can save this country. But it's not going to be through the efforts of humanity. It's going to be through the efforts. It's going to be through the miraculous uh, working of God that this country is saved. We just have to be, I believe we just have to be willing part participants in it. Amen. Yeah, we, we, ha we do have to be. And... And I don't, um, I, I look at the Bible, I try to be dispassionate. One of the problems that some, a lot of prophetic friends of mine have is they're so sold on the righteousness of, of the cause that they lose their objectivity in looking at what's happening. So they knew that Trump's, you know, the election they felt was stolen. I, I feel that way too. But uh, they, they live in a kind of sustained denial about what's happened since then. Well, it doesn't make you very effective when, you know, when you're just not going to, you put your fingers in your ears and say, um, I believe that God's going to put Trump back in. Well, you, what are you going to do for four years so that happens if that's the next step? You still have to deal with the reality. And you might have to deal with the fact that God isn't doing things the way you thought he would. And isn't Absolutely. that a typical, isn't that what the, you read the prophets and you'll see the prophets had problems with God. I mean, sometimes like, the prophets were complaining, like, what are you doing? Jonah was basically irritated with God because God was having mercy when he should have had judgment. Yep. So uh, and then there's other prophets that, you know, like uh, Habakkuk, that are basically, you know, God saying, hey, you and I are going to have an appointment. You've been you've had a real attitude about me lately. I'm going to set this thing straight. And Habakkuk saying, why are you letting these Assyrians are worse than us? And you're giving them a victory? So I think we have to sit back and say, God has allowed what's happened in America, right, I and I think he did it. My own opinion, this isn't a revelation. I think the church has been, hasn't known that it's actually being disciplined. Because yes, I think that's, I agree, the, totally. I mean, we're the Jonah on board the ship. We're, we're, the, we're the people that are actually supposed to be the solution to the problem. Yes. All of this happened on our watch. That's right. Yes. The uh, yes. LGBTQ community has never been more than 3 to 4% of the American population. Add transgender if you want. It's another 1%. 
we still have like 30 to 35 percent of the country is evangelical that reject that ideology on the basis of their faith. But we're not in unity and we're not mobilized and we never really took seriously um, the going into the culture battle the way it had to be fought, which yeah. is institutional. You have to go into the universities. You can't just put a Christian university over here. You got to go into the Harvard was once a Christian university and it became agnostic. You almost have to challenge. You got to go to the high places. That's yes. where the idols are. And we, we should have a greater tolerance for that. But to your point, uh, I, I think it was you, Bill, that was talking. The, you can't, um, it gets fatiguing when you're by yourself and there's not a lot of support and you're getting hammered on yep. and you just say, what's the use? Uh, you know, Jeremiah said, you know, what's the use too? But here, here's, but here's the use. The use is God is doing it his way. What right. if, here's a terrible thought. The history of the Bible is the northern kingdom was judged and the southern kingdom was given freedom because the southern right. kingdom had righteous government. What if America ends up in a in an Article 10 uh, separation of states? Oh, it's mm. unthinkable now. But the New York Times, I'm reading, flurry of new laws move blue and red states yep. further apart. As yep. uh, as Roe v. Wade comes into being rejected uh, by the Supreme Court and the states are saying we won't have abortion in our state, uh, you got California and Washington states saying we will become the abortion states. We'll even cover your expenses. So what you've got now is America where the, the values conflict is if it's plucked out of the national level and driven back to the states, you're going to have Florida in a battle with that homosexual spirit at Disney. Why is it happening there and not happening in Utah? Or yep. are, why is are some other place? Well, because Florida is now going to be where the where the front lines of that spiritual civil war is taking place between woke corporate America and governments. Mike Pence, if you remember correctly, who wanted to be president, had his Jezebel confrontation moment in Indiana. He signed a little law protecting businesses from having to be forced into compliance with the LGBT agenda for managing their business. And immediately he got a boycott from uh, national sports franchises and who knows what else was it, you know, Costco, Walmart, Target. It was huge. And he's, he was frozen like a deer in the headlights. That's when I knew that he could not, he would, that Donald Trump was the guy and not Mike Pence because Pence squared off with that spirit and backed up and said, no, 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 no. I wasn't trying to, re I don't want you guys to pull your business out of Indiana. No. I was just trying to protect small businesses. In other words, he, he came up to a DeSantis moment Amen. and he wasn't a Ron DeSantis hmm. and Ron basically goes, bam, right back. And he's got that Trump type of anointing which is, I'm not backing down. And it's like, okay, well, America just might become like the northern and the southern kingdoms, which is where the states become more free to hold the union together by creating cultures and laws where you can have your pot smoking and your uh, multiple uh, polygamy marriage over here, but it's not recognized in Florida and Texas, Alabama, and Mississippi. It, might, it just might end up like the northern and the southern kingdoms and then watch what happens with the northern kingdoms because mm. because God has a controversy with these things, not just us. Amen.
We may yeah. have to have the border guard of, at the state level where states are guarding their borders from other states. Yeah. You know, Lance, what I was thinking, too, is could that same thing, what you're saying, be happening in the in the church as well, where God is raising up this remnant of bold lions and generals that are out speaking and standing, willing to unify? It's like a coalition of the willing and then separating the wheat from the child. I mean, there's been such a disruption in the body of Christ in this whole thing. And I think I mean, I'll just tell you one quick story. I, you know, I'm the president of Religious Liberty Coalition and, and William and I have you know come together. And so he's got the Black Robe Regiment. I got the Religious Liberty Coalition. So we want to be, uh, you know, unified to show people, hey, we're willing to come together, two different organizations, but, you know, the same goals and be in the trenches together. And, uh, and you know, I was meeting with this church pastor of a mega church out here in Tennessee, and it, you would have thought he was on a different planet. He had no, no concern with Biden. He had a heart for Biden. Uh, didn't see any problems with any of the things that we're talking about today. And I, I left that meeting just like, wow, like I, I was really honestly discouraged because I was like, this guy's got 5,000 people coming in on Sundays and he doesn't even get it at all. Well, here's the crazy thing. And, I, you know, I, I don't want people to figure out who this is. But within a few months, the Lord yanked him. He's no longer the pastor of that church. And I really believe this is what we're going to be seeing is if people aren't willing to stand and speak the entirety of the full counsel of God. I mean, do you foresee something like that happening as we move forward? Yeah, so I had I had this situation happen a week ago. I was in Oklahoma City with a pastor of Stephen Cunningham and Andrew Womack and Mario Murillo. We were all there. A lot of these were um, people that love Andrew Womack, have been to Karis Bible College, and, and uh, there was a, a prophet that was there also um, who's, uh, who was working with us, a graduate of Andrew's ministry. Marcus Wick, and and all great guys, you know, clean, good guys. This guy, Stephen, was a former policeman and an Iraq uh, soldier who was wounded in combat, I think. And so he, he has stellar, you know, credentials and now is uh, pastoring a church. And he said Jesus appeared to him and and said that he wanted unity in his church and that uh, he was to focus on the foundations, foundations, foundations. That was what he had heard. And I listened to this, and I, I can't tell you why, but it affected me in a kind of funny way, because as uh, we had like maybe, I don't know, over, over 1,000 or 1,500 people in this meeting, and I, I was thinking, how long has he been trying to get unity? Well, he ran for state senator, I think, just a, a, a state office. And he couldn't get any of the pastors to allow him to come in and share his Christian burden for office hmm. and why it is that they needed to be involved. He couldn't get the pastors to open up their churches for him because they were all apolitical. So, and he's really kind of like, you know, uh, then, so he's just focusing on maybe having once a year this kind of unity meeting. Um, and, and trying to encourage pastors to come out. Well, this irritated me. It, it irritated me because, um, it, sometimes irritation is, is, is the ability God gives you to solve a problem. And I said, uh, I said, you know what? The, the reason why the Religious Liberty Coalition and the Black Robe Regiment is sometimes experiencing moving a rock uphill when it comes to unity with clergy is Here's the Jewish insight. What you need is the constituency that the pastors will listen to more than you. 
You're a voice of conscience, a voice of reason, and a voice of who else is doing it. And so they look at that, and maybe they'll come, maybe they won't. I pastored for 20 years, so I'm not even, I'm telling you, I know how pastors think. And, you know, we could be the busiest people in the world when we don't want to do something. So, um, oh, I got a commitment. I got a this. I got a wedding, a baptism, and a yep. blah, 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 blah. So here's the deal. I, I found something out. I found if you go to the businessmen in the community and you make your Black Robe Regiment and your Religious Liberty Coalition focused on an alliance of small businesses and professionals, professional business people in corporations and small business owners and doctors and lawyers, etc. You focus on, on deputizing, educating, and commissioning the marketplace professionals to stand in unity as Christians in unity in their community you have just cut in half the amount of time it takes for those pastors to have an awakening. Because the moment two or three business people come into their church and talk about your gathering you're doing, that's the moment they show up. Not when you call, not when they get a flyer, but when they get a call from someone who's influential in the congregation, it's a priority. That's good Jewish marketing. So what I did, what I did in, uh, there in this conference was, I, uh, the guy was driving me. I found out is the CEO of a, of a, of a computer company, a computer of, of a, of a processing company for invoices and stuff. Brilliant guy and a significant business guy. I said, Hey, uh, here's what I'm thinking of doing. I'm thinking of, uh, getting all the business men and women to answer the altar call to be commissioned to work in unity for the sake of a spiritual shift in their city and territory. I'm going to call the pastors up to walk in unity with the business community as the two of them do the spiritual and the business side of transforming the city. Amen. And and I said, and then, and and then your job is go to the mayors and find out the top five unsolvable problems they're wrestling with, because that becomes the apostolic agenda for the church and for the business community to the top five problems. And you've immediately created influence and access to the power of government because you guys, no one's going to sneeze at a constituency of churches and business leaders who are organized and want to get involved with helping the mayor. Suddenly you've shifted the, you shifted the spiritual climate. That my friend was shocking because we had an altar call and it must have been 700, 500 people, 500 people came forward. 400 of them were in business. 100 of them were in ministry. Or maybe it was 300 in business and 75 in ministry. All I know is it was so big. I, I had the pastors of the pulpit, the business people in front. We were surrounded. I, it was too big a crowd to pray for anyone individually. Wow. It would have taken too long, which I thought I was going to have a, like a dozen business people and five pastors. It ended up being much larger than that. I, I walked away saying, that's how it has to be done. That is awesome. That is a great idea. Huge, huge idea. Had to come from the Lord. That's right. I mean, I, I got more questions, but I'm giving them to you, William. What do you, what do you have? I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat speechless. I think this is, I want, I want you to know, Lance, that, uh, after you spoke in, um, in, uh, Southern California, I went home and I watched the lad, the gladiator again. I thought that was, I thought that was so inspiring. Then I went back and watched it again. 
it's a great movie. Well, it is. And it's, you know, and, and the reason why that movie is great is because it speaks to something in you. It yeah. speaks to something in the audience. It's, it's the mythological journey of leadership, which is, you know, trying to serve the authority that, you know, we serve, realizing there could be corruption in the authority and that our service then is to really resist and change. And where we're at now is we're at the point where we're resisting uh, evil in the arena with a, with an audience watching. And the remnant actually uh, is bigger than we think. I believe right. that we're up against this. The, the, the government and big tech and big business is, in a sense, um, an oligarchy of such power I mean, while biz, small businesses were decimated over the last two years in COVID, the data coming out from the large corporations that are global corporations is they had their best years yet in the last yeah, 24 yeah, months. So it's a cruel uh, fact that the most deserving were burnt down, looted, and, uh, and put out of business by government. And the big guys that are in bed with government prospered. So what's happening is the, the webbing, between the two is getting tighter and it's forming a chain that will rob us of the ability to fix it. Then we're in a different end time scenario. I don't know what that means, but, but I can tell you this, we have an opportunity. God can give us a Teddy Roosevelt moment where the union busting or the trust busting um, power. Teddy Roosevelt basically broke up the railroads. He broke up uh, Rockefeller's, uh, you know, grip on, on SO at that time, standard oil. And what we need is we need to have this, this populist uprising fueled by a great awakening in the same way it was the revivalists in the, rev in the church that excited the abolitionists to take on slavery that produced a civil war. We're in a spiritual civil war that's becoming more social and more institutional and more state specific and school zone specific every day. So be it. We're going to have to do our part uh, to show up at the battle in unity, wherever that battle, wherever Lexington and Concord is, close to our house. And we have enough people to literally see the populist movement break the gridlock on the nation and to have it fueled by a great awakening. That's why uh, just last week with Clay Clark's event, up in Portland, we drove by some Antifa, uh, you know, desperados that were there, but they, they, there was a small group compared to, you know, because we had like 5,000 people, I guess it right. was a big, big group that to take on. And, uh, but when I went in there, Clay had this impulse to, Sean Foyt was there and he's had Sean on the platform and he threw me up there to go do an altar call, which was so intuitive, but so prophetic because I asked I asked Sean to shift the music a little to something a little bit more militant uh, from, you know, worshipy to strong. And he did. And that moment, there was an anointing that came down and I was able to prophesy and reach into something from Isaiah where the Bible, where the Lord said, long time I've been quiet, but now I will cry out like a travailing woman. Oh, boy. It was Ooh. as though I could hear the Lord saying, you've been waiting for what I'm going to do. Now I'm going to begin to do it. And as I said that, I said, all of you that have been suffering with oppression and fear and anxiety, depression, mental sleeplessness, insomnia, you're in a panic over where America is at and you're angry and don't know what to do. Come down. We're going to deal with that right now. 
Well, the response was so strong, the aisles were jammed, you know? So we just prayed and broke that thing off of them and then transitioned into physical healing. And I know miracles in healing started because one lady came up and said she had a hip uh, pr- uh, surgery replacement that was that was healed, you know, while we, she was praying. And I never even asked for any other testimonies. But Clay told me something broke right then. Yeah. Something happened. He saw it. And he asked me to come do it again in the next event, uh, 13th and 14th. But I can't I can't go because my wife wants me to go to her family reunion, and which I'm reluctant to do. It's the Northeast family reunion. I mean, they, they all know I'm a Trump fanatic. They're all liberal Democrats. <laughs> I, but as an evangelist and missionary, I've got to go because my wife wants me to go. And I love them, but I know that i got to avoid a whole lot of subjects with them. <laughs> Half of them will probably be wearing masks. So uh, I'll go up anyway, but I I won't be with Clay for that. But I think there's a new formula at work. I think there's a great awakening already here. Yes. Well, we're going to be praying for you for sure when you go up there, man. And we're going to miss you at the next Reawake America tour too. But, you you know, what you said is so spot on, man. And it's, it's, you know, the Lord showed me when this whole Ukraine thing was starting and people were given the doom and gloom prophecies and everything. And a lot of people got scared. And the Lord said, the end is not yet one more round. And I really believe that. And we're at this pivotal <laughs> crossroads right now. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that feel small. They feel, what can I do? I don't have any influence. But you know what? I think that God is calling us to be people of action. He'll give us the assignment. He'll tell us what to do. We got to be like Isaiah and say, send me, I'll go. Would you agree? Oh, totally. I, 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 what you said is exactly what the Lord said to me. There is yet one more movement in the loins of Amen. America. Amen. Yet I'm, one more. And uh, hidden away as it is, it's now coming to the surface. And, uh, and those ministries that, that, um, that, don't, that don't do what God wants them to do are going to find that uh, their strength diminishing because the people are now weighing the leaders uh, and they're and they're looking for leadership and uh, they want leadership and so leadership is going to be given you know lance something the lord i think showed me not long ago several months ago i was thinking about america and the history of america how america came to be and i realized that america could not have been founded before the death and resurrection of jesus christ because it had to be born again regenerate hearts that found that founded this nation and um and I, I just it, I just realized that, you know, there's something about a born. We are a born again nation. That's how we came into being. We're the fruit of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And and I think the enemy, our enemies think that that they've got us. But I think there's like you said, like you guys are saying, there's one more round in the chamber and it's uh, it's coming. You know, this yeah. this born again nation is going to wake up. Come on. Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, and there's and from the beginning, we've been. I mean, the Mayflower Compact was, was remember, they called them the strangers that were among them. There were people that were on that trip that weren't there for religious liberty. They were there because they wanted to, to seize the opportunities of a new frontier and a new way of life. And so we've always had a kind of a, uh, of a, of a traveling company that was the spiritual seed that was looking for freedom and the natural uh, the, that were coming from Europe because they wanted a better life. And we were able to coexist because we had influence over the social contract. They came out with a contract, the Mayflower Compact. It became the, the first model of what we would end up with as documents later on that became a nation. But we've lost our influence on the ship. 
And it's not that we're not big enough to have an influence. It's just that that's why I taught Seven Mountains. I don't know why, but it just fascinated me when I saw that culture, discipling a nation, depends on who's actually in pop culture, who's controlling the entertainment, the media, the way of thinking, the uh, the uh, the academic uh, realm. Who's who are the elites that are shaping influence, and to what degree do we influence those elite structures? And I never, I never realized how serious a revelation that was until I saw Breitbart with the Tea Party movement. And uh, Andrew Breitbart was a liberal who became a conservative listening to Rush Limbaugh and Dennis Prager. And uh, Breitbart was, uh, he created the Huffington Post. And then he left and created Breitbart News to fight with the Huffington Post. And he organized it based on big media, big academia, big business, big government. It, he would, I call mountains, he called big subjects. And, and I realized, oh my gosh, we, we really are in the battle of public persuasion. And, and Dennis Prager, I was on a show with him last night on Flashpoint, and he said something that was so profound, I, I actually stopped the show to repeat it. He said, the problem with the, with the siloization of America into its separate silos is we know what they know, but they don't know what we know. They're only listening to the uh, to the party line propaganda. We know their deception and the truth. They only know their deception. They never hear our side of the argument, and and they live in a bubble. That's my Northeast family. They're not really listening to me. They're not listening to Bannon's war room. They're not listening to Dinesh D'Souza. They're not, they're not listening to, to Tucker Carlson. Um, so they don't have any idea what we're saying, but we do know what they're saying. And so somehow we've got to break that and start to get them to hear what we're saying. And that's going to be an interesting process. Amen. Well, I think I, we've, we've had Lance on for a little bit longer this time, uh, Todd, but I think what we're going to do is end this. And, uh, will you come back again? I'd be glad to, I'd love to We'd love to have you back. And I went over a little. I've I have another appointment no, I'm supposed to we speak on ten minutes ago. I <laughs> don't oh, know. Sorry. Well, do you want Do you want to speak about that now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Lance. We yeah, appreciate you, my friend. Us. Yeah. Thank you, and I hope I hope I didn't disunify too much, folk talking about unity. <laughs> no, I think we better be rethink this uh, partnership. No, we're not. We're not doing that. Um, it's it's good stuff, Father. Thank okay. you. For, thank you for this time. Thank you for Lance. Thank you for his willingness to be with us. Pray, Lord, you'd bless him and his going forth to the places, especially when he goes to be with his family. Yes. God, we pray that you would do something supernatural in that experience, that his family members, their hearts would be open, Lord, that they would query him about some of the things that he knows, that they would, Lord, that the, the craziness that's happening in our world would would begin to break the shell that's around their minds, Lord, the, the blockade of the truth around their minds. Open their hearts to the truth, God. And we thank you for doing doing that, God. Bring us together again, Lord, in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name. All right, everybody. Amen. Thanks for joining us.